On today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, I'll be talking to you again, I think, about my ease method, the ease model for creating lasting change. This is something I'll be talking about more in our summit when it comes up. I just thought I'd give you a little preview today. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. And we're back. So, yes, in a few weeks, maybe months, no, it'll be weeks, we're going to put on a summit. I don't know if you've heard about that yet, but uh, it'll be a summit where we have some amazing speakers, including me, And but I'm putting it on so I get to choose if I get to be on it or not. So, gosh darn it. I'm one of them speakers, but we have Robert Diltz coming, Shelley Rose Chavez, several people that have been on this this podcast before. Great, great people, Mark Andreas, Nick Kemp, just to make, name a few. And what I'm going to be talking about in my part of this Making a Lasting Impact Summit will be this ease model that I've told you about before in previous episodes or a previous episode. What this has to do with how, is how to create a new habit in yourself. My belief is that people who are successful just have successful habits. Going back to Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, what are those effective habits and how do you get them to be habits? Not just something you should do or think about doing, but you actually do and do on a regular basis, do on a consistent regular basis. So that's been my focus for a long time. It will be the subject of my next book. And it, uh, it's a little preview there, but it will certainly be the subject of my talk at the Making a Lasting Impact Summit that you will be invited to if you are on my mailing list, certainly, and maybe some other people's mailing lists as well. I don't know. But if you're interested, go to uh, essentialcoachingskills.com and see if you can get on that mailing list there. Meanwhile, what is this ease method? The ease method is a way of setting a goal and then having different levels of accomplishment towards the achievement of that goal. So as an example, when I was teaching piano students for a living, I used to tell kids that, hey, you're good, you're talented. I told this to all the students, of course, but there's, there's, there's truth in this. Just as an aside, back in the mid-80s, there was a study done where they took, I don't know, a slew, let's just say a scientific number, a slew of piano students, young kids, and they gave them piano lessons and they tracked how much they practiced every day. And at the end of the study, whether it was a year or two years, doesn't matter. At the end of the study, they then you know tested how proficient they become at playing the piano. And they discovered that there is a direct one-to-one -one correlation between how much they practiced and how proficient they became at this instrument. One-to-one -one correlation, meaning that the more they practiced, the better they got. There was no outliers. There's no variation for talent. Talent was not a thing, according to this study. You practiced more, the better you got. End of sentence. So 
I realized as a piano teacher, it didn't really matter how talented the student was, didn't matter how great a teacher I was. I was hoping for both. And what mattered was how much they practiced. So I saw it as my task as their teacher to A, have them fall in love with the instrument so that they would be self-motivated to practice. They just loved doing it, but also to give them a little bit of extrinsic motivation by saying, um, I will reward you and, you know, if you do well. So what I want you to do is this is what I'd say to them. I, you're a talented little kid. I want, I think you could be great at playing the piano. I think you'd love it if you did. And so towards that end, I want you to practice an hour every day. And they'd look at me like I was crazy because they're not going to do that. They're seven, right? <laughs> Concept of time. Is it done yet? You know, and so, but I'd say, and I know that's a lot and it is a lot. Um, for anybody, for a little kid especially. So for now, I'd be very happy if you did a half an hour a day and they'd look relieved and go like, okay, okay, I'll try. I said, yeah, do try. And tell you what, for now, since we are just starting out, um, if you did just 15 minutes a day, I'll be happy with that. So 15 minutes a day is all you really have to do. We'll aim for a half an hour. Be great if you did an hour, but aim for a half an hour and we'll accept the 15 minutes. Okay, deal? And I'd get them to shake on it. And then I, when I had their hand in my hand, I'd grab tight and I said, now listen, kid, <laughs> and I'd pull them close. And I'd, I might be exaggerating slightly, but I tried to have this sort of sense of, now listen, kid, if you don't practice 15 minutes a day, make damn sure you practice at least five minutes every day because you can always find five minutes. You know, as soon as you get home from school, you can sit down to piano and practice. Just before dinner, you can sit down and practice. Just after dinner, you can just, you know, just before bed. You can always find five minutes to sit down, open your book, to know what it is you're supposed to be doing. So it's directed practice. And then practice for that period of time. And then say, done. I did it. Yay, me. And that will be sufficient. And it didn't ever work right away didn't ever work right away. The kids would say, oh, I forgot about that. And so we'd reinforce it and reinforce it until they finally started to do it. And guess what? It worked eventually. They would get into the habit of practicing every day and writing it down in their little journals that, you know, and, and what was fun was if they did seven days in a row, and it didn't matter if it was an hour a day or five minutes a day, as long as they did something every day, they would get a sticker on their, on their little assignment page book. So I, I put a, a Beethoven sticker, some kind of musical sticker on the thing. Beethoven was the big one. And so they were, they loved that. Now, this isn't a big reward, right? It's not like, and I'll give you a $500, you know, scholarship to whatever. No, it was a sticker. It's a little sticker, a little gold star, you know, at the top of the paper. But you get that little rush of dopamine. You go like, oh, yay. And, and part of your brain goes, this is this is cool. This is who I am. This is what I do. Right? So you're, you're, you're doing it. You're becoming it. You are becoming it. Now, this is where it also gets interesting. Because not only does it become a habit, but you've probably heard the old expression that it takes 21 days of doing something every day in a row for it to become a habit. That was a, a notion popularized by Maxwell Maltz in his book, Psycho-Cybernetics back, I think, in the 70s, might have been the 80s. But he didn't actually say that was a fact. He just sort of entertained that notion. People took it from his book and said, oh, this is a fact. Um, and it's become known as kind of a, a hallmark, a, 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 
landmark of what it is that you want to aim for. And yet it isn't true. It's kind of got truthy, truthiness to it. You know, the more that you do it, the better it becomes, the more it becomes ingrained in you. But 21 days, probably not, probably not. 36 days, my friend Dan Millman once said is 36 days, maybe 40. Um, there was a study done by a European journal that actually studied this. And they came up with a variant between 18 and like 254 days in a row. I'm not sure how they got to that number, but um, they said the average was 66 days in a row that you do something that becomes habitualized. But that's what we aim for. We want to aim for it becoming a habit. Now, to me, a very interesting thing also happens and that along the way, you shift your identity. So no longer am I like a couch potato who's trying to learn to run, trying to get out every day and run, or a, a student who doesn't know how to play the piano and becoming a, you know, a pianist. Um, somewhere along the way, you make that shift and you go like, I am a pianist, I am a runner, I am a writer, because I do it every day. A writer writes, a runner runs, you do it every day. So along the way, you have this, this shift along the logical levels that your brain goes, this is who I am. Now, for my money, once that shift is made, my work as a coach is done in a way, you know, because they've made that shift. That's the all important shift. I'm a writer. I, I don't know how many writers will tell you that, you know, the, the trick to being a good writer is to write. Ernest Hemingway, I'm just listening to his book, which is fascinating, by the way. Um, his speech patterns are so interesting in the book, uh, 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 Movable Feast. I Ernest Hemingway is listening to a recording of that. And the, the guy that's reading it is just a great Ernest Hemingway. Um, it's kind of an autobiography kind of thing. It's, his, it's, not a, it's not a novel. It's you know, perhaps novelized, fictionalized a bit. But it's his story of him being in Paris and learning to become a writer. I was very impressed when I went to Ernest Hemingway's house down in the Keys, Florida Keys in uh, Key West. He has a house down there. Very impressed when I went there to find out that he was a disciplined writer. He would write every day. I always had this image of him as being like this, you know, gregarious, drunkard kind of guy who went fishing and, you know, chased over ambulances in Spanish Civil War and went to bullfights and all this stuff. And, <coughs> You know, but apparently those may have all been true, but he was also a very disciplined writer that the the docent at the museum, his house in Key West, said that he had had this bridge built from his second floor bedroom window, French, big French door, so he just opened the door and, and walk across this bridge over into the upstairs of his coach house, in his garage, garage. And he would, that was his studio. And he would write in there every day from nine in the morning until noon. Every day, nine till noon, he would write. And he was to say, if I could write one true sentence, one good true sentence, then he was happy. And I think that's a great model for ease. You know, do one thing. When I was getting myself trained to be a, a, a morning runner, a marathoner, I needed to to become much more disciplined as a runner if I wanted to meet my goal of running a marathon fast enough to qualify for the Boston Marathon. 
it had been kind of a dream of mine after I'd become, you know, a runner. I wanted to become a good runner. Another a different thing entirely. Um, and I to prove that I was a good runner, I wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Boston Marathon, at least uh, at the time, and I think still to an extent, had very strict, perhaps less strict uh, rules that said in order to run for the this marathon, you've got to run another marathon fast enough. You've got to beat beat a qualifying time. Um, at when I first started tr trying to do that, it was three hours, I think, or two hours and fifty minutes, something ridiculously fast, frankly. And as time went on, um, they they softened those goals a bit per age group. So by the time I was, you know, forty, the um, the level was like three hours and twenty minutes or something like that. Let's just say. So I was bound and determined to to beat that. And um, I realized that I needed more discipline. I needed to run more regularly, more frequently, and farther in order to make that happen. And my kind of haphazard approach to it wasn't good enough. So I needed to run in the mornings. So I, I did a couple of things. One is I made it as easy as possible for me to do that. I, you know, went to bed earlier, you know, but I also... I laid out all my running equipment, my sneakers, socks, shorts, et cetera, depending on what season it is. In the summertime, it was pretty much it right there. But um, I would lay it all out in the order in which I would put it onto my body. So I'd get out of bed, I'd put on the shorts, put on the socks, put on the sneakers, throw on the t-shirt, get my hat and sunglasses or whatever, and go. Key to the apartment, go. Um, I wanted it to be like a fireman, right? If you think of the proverbial fireman when the alarm goes off, you know, jumps out, she jumps out of the cot, whatever, where they're letting throw their clothes on, slide down the flagpole, uh, uh, fireman's pole. <laughs> It'd be weird if they went down a flagpole, uh, fireman's pole, you know, throw their boots on, jump on the truck, and within a minute after the alarm goes off, they're speeding out of the driveway, all of them with her full gear on. I wanted it to be like that, you know, no thinking. I wasn't good at thinking in the morning. I was not a morning person. I was a musician for heaven's sakes. So I laid it all out. And then I said to myself, my, my goal is I want to get up to Prospect Park and do a loop, full loop of the park, 3.5 miles ish. Um, that was my, if you will, my stretch goal. But I said, you know, some days I would do two loops. I'd maybe run with my friend Bob. He always did two loops and uh, do that. So that'd be my extraordinary goal. My acceptable goal was I'd you know get from the apartment up to the park. That was about a half a mile to get to the park. And then if I couldn't, you know, if I didn't have time or whatever, couldn't do the full loop, I'd at least go to the park and back again. So it'd be a mile. And then uh, my easy goal was to put all that stuff on, right? To get out of bed, put the socks, the shoes, the shorts, the t-shirt, go out the door and get up to the corner. Probably a hundred yards up from my my apartment, my house to the corner on uh, in Brooklyn. You know, if I if I did that, then I could say, okay, done, check, did it. The easy level. The easy level is the level you need to get the ball in motion. Part of what this is to do with is those logical levels of creating the identity of who you are, but it is also recognizing that there's a scientific law, Newton's first law of motion, I believe it is, that a body at rest tends to stay at rest. 
unless acted upon by some outside force. The corollary to that is also that the body in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by some outside force. So get the body moving. You're a body. Your body. Get your body moving. Do something. Get out of bed. Out of get that couch potato off the potato off the couch. Get going. Get going. And stay going then. So what often would happen is I'd say, okay, I can't do this. It's too late. I'm going to I get my sneakers on. I go up to the corner and I go like, okay, I'm on the corner. So I might as well keep going and do the next level up. So I keep going up to the park. I'm, I'm halfway there. I'm, I'm almost there. So might as well keep going. Might as well keep going. And then, um, I would. And then sometimes I'd get to the park and say, well, I've gotten this park. Plus I'm a little warmed up now. So I'd run around the park. I'd do that loop. Rarely would I run into Bob and say, okay, I'll do two loops. But sometimes, I mean, maybe once that would be the extraordinary level. It's okay to have that as that extraordinary goal that I do sometimes. If I was a better person, I'd do that every day. But you know what? If I did that every day, it would become not so extraordinary, would it? So then it would become just my stretch goal, and then I'd have to up my levels, which is something that you do as you progress along and get better and better. It's not just, you know, good enough anymore. You've got to actually increase your levels. You practice for two hours. Um, that'd be extraordinary. One hour, which was extraordinary before, is just now normal for you. You get better and you have more things that you do as you create these habits for yourself. This is also based on the idea of Karen Pryor's amazing book, Don't Shoot the Dog, which is to say that kind of the Skinner school of creating um, new patterns with by rewarding approximately right behavior, you reward yourself. I always kept a running journal. It was a journal that I wrote down how much I ran. I did the same thing when I was you know, practicing the piano. I had a practice journal. I'd always record how much I was doing. So I could always say, yes, look at me. I did it every day this week. I get that gold star. I get that little sticker of Beethoven up there. So this is how we create new habits, by creating something that you do every day, even if it's a small thing, you move it in the right direction to ultimately create that new identity for yourself of who you are based on this. I'm In my presentation for the summit, I've created a nice little uh, PowerPoint presentation with cute little illustrations so you can see it even more clearly. And when you do listen to the summit, I also show you a link for how to get the, the free ebook that I've already completed um, to, you know, if you want to read about that too. So anyway, I hope this is useful for you and, and I've enjoyed speaking with you. By the way, I'm off camera today because I've had just a little bit of surgery. So I've got a bandage on my face, it's pretty unsightly. It's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. But it's just, I figured, you don't want to look at this. You don't look at this. So thanks for tuning in. See you again next time. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Central Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks.